today we're um, here at Western Islet and we're speaking with Elsa McCallum. It's from University of Exeter. I believe she's a postdoc. PhD student. PhD student. And also Richard Oram, who's also at University of Exeter, both coming here from the UK. Just wanted to touch base with them and just get a little bit of um, sort of high-level information about what it is they are currently working on. So would you like to go first? Yes, so I'm working on characterizing the uh, genomic, epigenomic and transcriptomic regulation of the human fetal pancreatic development and comparing that to uh, genetic and epigenetic expression in the adult pancreas as well. Important. Yeah, and you gave a great presentation the other day, which we'll be covering. So if you want to hear more or look at more, we'll have that um, available on our website shortly. And then Dr. Oram. So hi, I um, uh, I have a major interest actually in predict predicting type 1 diabetes. So I work on using genetic risk scores and combined prediction models to identify who's going to progress to type 1 diabetes. This kind of links to the islet field, uh, field which I'm also interested in um, because I study the biology of beta cell decline. Uh, in part because there are definitely early signals of beta cell stress or uh, uh, abnormal glucose much earlier in the pathogenesis of type 1 diabetes than we thought. So I think the thing that I'm trying to soak up here, whilst also being a little bit out of my depth because I'm not an islet biologist, is um, what clues we can see uh, uh, from islet biology as to what abnormalities might, in beta cells might be contributing to, to type 1 diabetes pathogenesis and whether we could actually identify those or biomarkers of those um, in clinical cohorts or in people at risk to improve prediction of type 1 diabetes. Yeah. Does that, that summarise why I'm here? Yeah. Yes. No, it's great to see the cross-training yeah. going on. Yeah. There's one specific piece of data which I still think we don't understand. Can I carry on talking? Is that yes, right? please. So, and I still haven't quite got my head round yet. Um, uh, and that is uh, actually there was a Hearn seminar yesterday, and I nearly bought it up in that seminar. Um, myself and Emily Sims gave it. That the the, um, uh, the GPAD screening study from uh, Germany um, uh, identified high genetic risk babies from birth and followed them as part of an oral insulin vaccine trial. But they, they did blood spot glucose um, uh, pre and post meal at various times in very, very early life. And one of the really interesting or tantalizing findings was that before seroconversion to single or antibody positive, some uh, the babies uh, who did seroconvert compared to those who didn't looked like they had subtly different uh, postprandial glucose very, very early in life, and we don't really understand why. So the data coming out of GPAD highlight that people who convert to single antibody positive very early have subtle differences or a slightly higher average blood glucose in the first few months of their life. And we don't really understand why, but I think it speaks to the fact that early life developing beta cells uh, uh, may be different or there may be some interaction of those early life um, developing beta cells but then the subsequent kind of development of autoantibodies which we don't understand so I, for me that's one of the hot topics in kind of early triggers and early pathogenesis of type 1 diabetes that we haven't really understood sorry I'm just waffling now no it's um, great and it's fantastic do you think there's room for CGM following in some of those yeah. Um, in some of those candidates or people that are at risk 
it's a good it's a good question. Uh, so I think data from the Barbara Davis recently presented highlights that you might be able to define dysglycemia by CGM. Yeah, yeah, by CGM metrics. I think you've got to give some balance to that argument. You know, there are some people, uh, I, uh, there are some key opinion leaders who would argue all diabetes diagnosis, all diagnosis of dysglycemia, sh- maybe should be with CGM. Maybe it's a better measure. Um, but we're still on a learning curve. So whether CGM will be better than other simple measures like HbA1c, um, which can be posted from home, um, I, I think is is up in the air. Also, we have to kind of um, check that we see the same signals in multiple places, and we have to get really good at defining normal. Whilst a lot of people without diabetes have worn CGM in, a ver- in various settings, I don't know we've organised all that data to know what normal glycemic variability looks like. We need to know that really, really well. The control we, group. Yeah. We've got a good PEDS data set now. Okay, so maybe, and I actually haven't... Uh, I don't know how young. Okay. But they have a good PEDS normal yeah. control group. So I have no idea. I, I mean, probably there is data out there that I don't know about, but I, I, I'd be really interested to see what normal glycemia look like in children age 1 to 12 months yeah no um, it's 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 really a, a new frontier with the addition of some of these you know new monitoring tools and it'll be interesting to see how all these data which will be a lot of it can be parsed and understood so the only downside is that it's well there are a few, there are a few things to consider one is that at the moment it's expensive you can't stick CGMs on everyone all the time and babies yeah and the other thing is that you know having type 1 diabetes is a significant burden and we're trying, if you like, to push that into the, into the distance. We're, we're trying to prevent the burdens that come with type 1 diabetes. And putting CGMs on people, if you like, is shift, could be shifting some it's of the burden. It's relatively low burden compared to yeah, doing so glucose tolerance tests oh, yeah, and bringing people in. You yeah, can yeah. do this all at home. Yeah, yeah, that's true. And it's really not, yeah, you know. Yeah, that bad to wear. Yeah, the yeah. prices will go down soon on them. You think? Yeah. yeah. Okay, you heard it here. The pros and cons uh, of... <laughs> the potential uh, for CGM to inform um, the early prodrome of the path to type 1? I think, I mean, I think it's a really good question. You know, the amount of wearable tech we have, you wonder that this is the way the world will go. Will go. I just, I don't know whether there'll be an interim period where HbA1c on a, uh, on a blood spot will also be used or something Are else. Are you a clinician as well? Yeah. Ah. Um, but uh, no, I'm actually a nephrologist, so I look after people with kidney failure. I mean, that's how I got into type 1 diabetes research. Uh, ah. Um, if you like, I was very fond of the, the tiny unlucky minority of people with type 1 diabetes who then um, develop kidney failure because, you know, that throws up all kinds of challenges. But then I ended up just mainly studying the biology of type 1 diabetes. Well, thank you for bringing your expertise to the field.